Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kicks and Picks podcast. Clearly this is not Nick leading the show today. He had to, to call out sick. We had to put him on the uh, up in the stands for this episode. So it's Scotty and I here with a special guest, Andrew Detmer of the Main Road uh, Ramble podcast, a, a Manchester City podcast. And if uh, you looked ahead at the Premier League schedule, you know that they have a big derby this weekend against Crosstown rivals Manchester United. Um, another derby in the uh, Premier League this week is Arsenal Tottenham. Scotty and I will talk about that a little bit too. But we're going to start with Andrew. So welcome to the show and thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Happy to be here, guys. Yeah. So Andrew was telling us off the air, he is a City fan for a long time. So I guess just to start, I know we didn't really have this in the outline, but what's it been like coming from like 2006 Man City when you started out to to now being like the class of the Premier League for the last bunch of years? So it's weird because if you talk to anybody who I, you know, my podcast co-host or some of my friends, like I'm the least nervous City fan of anybody who was kind of there before we got taken over because there's this whole idea of typical City, like we're the club that held the ball in the corner, uh, which caused us to get relegated, right? Like we we were known for making these stupid, like blowing it decisions. Um, but like for some reason, I'm not nervous for a lot of games like last year we're two nil down against Villa. And I was like, we're going to come back. Like, there's no way this, like, there's no way we blow this. Like there's just, I refuse to believe it. But I will also say that it's still, I have some neuroses that come from being, you know, a fan of a team that, you know, scored like less than 10 goals at home in an entire season at one point. So, you know, it, I, I think in a way it helps keep you, you humble, um, you know, Cubs fans, they got that one victory and, you know, but they had a long time to get to it compared to, you know, being like, oh, well, I'm a, you know, a Red Sox fan or a New England Patriots fan. It's like, we've won a lot. So, you know, does it, does it mean as much? And obviously we've won a lot in the past few years, but like, it, it does allow me to sympathize, I think, with fans who come into a season being like, well, hopefully we just don't get relegated. Yeah, Scotty and I, we haven't had to deal with the relegation. I mean, I'm a Roman fan. He's a Liverpool fan. We've had our down years and our, you know, yeah. he's had more ups than than my club, um, you know, in the in the Premier League and Champions League. But yeah, I mean, it definitely, when you start out with a, a team, not when they're winning, right? Like I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I started rooting yeah. for them when they drafted McNabb and they were like a three and 13 team. And then when the winning comes, it's, it's all that much sweeter compared to like yeah. being a Yankees fan. And, and, you know, they've been winning since I was a kid. So Definitely put some perspective in uh, how you view your team, I think, instead of people that come in when the money's already there and the winning's already happening, like a lot of young kids do these days with the bigger clubs in the world. So, like we said, City's now pretty much the class of the Premier League. Uh, not first in the table right now. A little bit of a surprise that Arsenal is the, the team to beat right now in terms of the, the table. So, uh, they enter this matchup with United, second in the table, five behind Arsenal. How are you feeling about City's quest for a three-peat this season? So uh, beginning of the season, you know, Arsenal looked good. And I was the one saying, ah, they're going to fall away. Ah, they're going to fall away. And, you know, I do think there's still a little bit of people looking at the calendar month rather than the match week when it comes to how people feel. Because, you know, we are way earlier in the season than we typically would be in yeah. a typical, you know, second week of January. So there's still a lot of the season left to play. And a club like Arsenal, I mean, hats off to them. Uh, they have gotten a really great squad together uh you know Arteta I thought was going to be a success when he left City to go um and you know they picked up some good pieces I mean he's injured now but you know, Gabby Jesus not even just the goals and his off ball work which I think he was underrated before he left City 
but really just the his seniority, him having been there and been on a title winning team, I think means a lot. Same thing with Zinchenko. Like those are good things that help the squad. You know, you do have to worry a little bit about Arsenal's depth in certain positions. And so, you know, a lot of season left, they get an injury. Who knows what happens compared to a team like City, where because we have been there so long and we have had resources, like we have a squad that if someone goes down, they're usually someone who can step up and you have Pep who can like create a left back out of a player who is shouldn't be a left back. So I'm I'm not nervous that we're not going to do it. I'm still pretty confident. Uh, but I definitely wasn't expecting Arsenal to kind of still have this lead this far into the season. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about Arsenal this time last year. Uh, we were trying to take our picks for who would get into the top four between Arsenal and, and Tottenham. Now I was high up on Arsenal because I liked what they were doing with the youth. You could see, you know, the young attacking talent they're bringing through that had played together for a couple seasons in the academy, and you could see how well they linked up together. And it just felt like it was one of those things where it's just a matter of time before it clicked. Uh, and obviously it's clicking now in a way greater than I think pretty much yeah. anyone would have anticipated. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's definitely depth concerns. Um, they're doing pretty well, you know, considering they just lost Jesus was probably one of their key players of the season thus far. My concern has always been what happens in, in the midfield. You know, the midfield is yeah. not the, the area where they are the strongest. Um, Xhaka, even himself, can can have up and down months, right? You'll he'll have a month where he's a match winner and he's he's controlling the midfield and he's putting in goals from 25 yards out. And then he'll have a month where he has, yeah. you know, two red cards and he's, you know, bringing players down the box, giving up, you know, stupid PKs. And and so he has yet to have that Jaka kind of appearance yet, but yeah. it almost feels like it's a ticking time bomb where it, it's a matter of if not when. And if he misses, you know, three games because of a dumb red card, you know, who they have slotting in behind him. Uh, I know they have Vieira, I think is is a little bit of a youth guy, but you know, it, it, it comes down pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. they they they've and, been the surprise, I think. And I, I think they're kind of overshadowing how good Newcastle's been a team that that we've talked a lot about on here, just because they've been so good, it overshadows what Newcastle's done to get into third third spot in the table, which is even I think even more surprising than Arsenal in some ways. But it, it, I think the depth does play into it a lot, Andrew. Like you said, City is too deep at every position and then maybe even more some at some positions where Arsenal, we don't know what they've got behind some of these guys. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, I think I, you never want to say that any one position group is going to be the key, but I feel like because you, it ties together attack and defense and it kind of affects all stages of the play. Like midfield is often the most important and, um, when you have such a thin squad and players who are, you know, playing great, like Odegaard is playing out of his mind. So Zaka has not had the the weird moments he sometimes had in his career. Maybe that continues the whole season. And that's great. That's awesome. Like Lester had that happen to them. All their guys played out of their yeah. minds for an entire season, but it's not necessarily what you want to like put your money on happening. Um, and so I think it is, will be interesting if Arsenal brings in like one or two players this window, same thing with Newcastle. I mean, I think both those squads, if you're the owners, you're looking at those those teams and you're saying, you know, maybe we didn't want to spend this money right now, but if it guarantees us a Premier League title or for Newcastle, if it locks us into Champions League three, four years ahead of schedule, like that's a huge return on investment compared yeah. to, you know, like Chelsea – spending all this money and like doing to all these players. It's like, what you're not going to, it's not going to like pay off for you most likely at this point in a way that makes sense. And so I, I think it'll be interesting for both Arsenal and Newcastle as the season goes on. Like, do they make the move right now that defines the season or 
do they say, I think we've got enough? Yeah, and, and I could comment on the midfield real quick just because I'm a Roma fan and I've watched it destroy my team all year. When Haldem was brought in to be the linking guy between the defense and the, the, the attack, he's been out. And it's it's been a mess with Matic and Cristante playing there. So I, I can attest to that. Yeah, and I think for Arsenal's perspective, uh, you know, they've often had this reputation of being an ownership group that's hesitant to spend and they don't open up the pockets enough. But, you know, people forget that not even what 14 months ago, people were were you know calling for Arteta to be out. You know, they 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 were kind of done with him, and now he's turned it around. You know, they I think they're the sunk second youngest starting eleven in the Premier League right now, even though they're all the way in first place. Uh, I think there's enough of a buy-in in Arteta being kind of a long-term guy that they're okay opening up the 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 pockets a little bit and, and splashing the cash where they need to, especially if, like you said, the difference of winning a title this year and finishing in second or maybe third behind Newcastle is a 45 million pound midfielder. Yeah. So we talked about the midfield being, you know, so important, but city success this year has largely been propelled by an attack led by really what could be a historic season from Erling Holland. I mean, he's been a great buy. If it wasn't for all he's doing, Gabriel Jesus might've been looked at as the signing of the season for anybody, but Holland has just been, you know, ridiculous. So What's it been like watching him step into a team already playing such a high level of football and immediately becoming such a, a key piece of the city, you know, mechanism that Pep's got going there? Yeah, so, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people kind of made fun of uh, Pep a couple of years ago when, you know, had been announced that Guerrero was retiring and he was like crying on the pitch after we'd won the, the title. And he said, you know, we can't replace Sergio Aguero. And then I think we saw, you know, sure, we did win the title last season, but we play with a false nine. Like there were moments when city would be, it's like, we just need that goal, that moment. And we didn't have it. Um, and part of that is, I think there's very few strikers that have that, like it where you might lock them out the entire match. And then like for a millisecond, the defender kind of loses track and then boom, balls in the back of the net. And you're like, what happened? Um, and so it definitely felt the times last season as a city fan, it was like, yeah, we're really good and maybe we're playing the most fluid football we've seen under Pep, but at times it was frustrating because just there was nobody there to finish all these great chances. Uh, and then we basically brought in like the perfect striker that was created in the lab. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing the highlight reels when Erling Holland was lighting it up at the uh, Youth World Cup when he scored nine against, I can't remember if it was Honduras or Costa Rica, but like some South American team that he just like blew off the face of the earth. And you were like, that's not a normal, like, yeah, there are really talented youth players who are playing at a level above all their teammates, but it's not like this. And so, you know, watching it kind of, he's just always been that way. Like it was always like, oh, well now he's in the you know Austrian league, but it's just the Austrian league. That's why he's scoring money. And then he goes to the Bundesliga and it's like, oh, but it's the Bundesliga. That's why he's scoring so many. And I remember seeing someone who was like, Gabriel Jesus will score more goals than uh Holland will this year um and I was like I was like I love Gabby like as a city fan I love the guy but like you would have to like more than half Erling Holland's career goal output for like that math to even come close to being right and there was no signs that it was you know he was gonna have a down year but even at the level I expected never in a million years thought Holland was gonna be doing what he was doing yeah it's it's interesting that you point that out because um I think Holland was brought in 
not necessarily to be a difference maker in the league for for Manchester City because like you said they've been successful yeah. without him they've been able to get through and, and the Premier League more so than anything is about that depth and stability throughout the course of 38 games to me the Holland signing was like this is what we're going to do to get ourselves Champions League because it, that's how they were eliminated last season right they had so many opportunities they were trying to chase down goals and they, they just didn't have that guy to finish it off and, and put the you know the final touch to put the ball in the back of the net and so it's been really interesting to see him come in. Obviously, they've done well in the Champions League so far, but you know, not even skip a miss a step when he's getting into a what's regarded as probably the the best league in the world with some of the best defense in the world. And just time after time, he's getting not just one goal but two goals here or a hat trick there, and it's just relentless. Uh, and I think it certainly helps that he's he is young in a way because he doesn't seem like he's ever tired at any point and in the the full you know, 90 minutes. And I know Pep pulls him off sometimes because the game is out of hand and they don't need to risk injury, but he's just so consistently, you know, energetic and, and making the runs that needs to be made. And it doesn't matter what the scoreline is, if they're up three Oh, or if it's, you know, you know, nothing, nothing, it's always the same amount of energy that he's getting that you're putting out there on the pitch, you know, day in and day out. Yeah. Um, so you spoke about the depth, Andrew, and how that is City strength compared to Arsenal. But is there one place on the pitch where maybe an injury could hurt City's chances at the Premier League title or making a deep Champions League run? That one position that maybe worries you? I mean, I, I think we may have seen it a little bit already this season, which was Kyle Walker going down um, actually in the, the last United match that we played. Um, you know, picked up an injury and that kind of started like up to that point, City had played this kind of like very fluid, high-powered system, and we saw it. I mean, you know, City were up 6-1, and then, you know, a garbage-time goal and a garbage-time penalty that were only really there because we put on kind of the, the freshmen um, because the varsity team had beat the, the other guys so badly, right? Um, but Walker goes down, and then Pep has been trying to, like, find a way to compensate for that, and we've seen this kind of, like, three center backs on the – the pitch and you know Cancelo getting moved around and he had some injuries and so I do think it's kind of not just maybe the right back but kind of both right back and left back for City because really we've only got Walker and Cancelo and then everyone else who's playing there it's either a youth prospect like Sergio Gomez who brought in on you know a really cheap deal who's barely been a left back for most of his career Rico Lewis who I will admit looks incredible for his age but is still you know a young kid and then it's like oh we'll, we'll play John Stones out there we'll play Nathan Ake out there and, you know, those guys are not going to be overlapping. So that affects the wit. Like, there's just, I think that injuries there, we've already seen, like, Pep then is like, well, I would rather just control the match. But then that really, I think, hampers our ability to get forward and put goals in the back of the net. And matches like Everton happen where, you know, we absolutely outplayed Everton, but one wonder goal. And you're like, well, 1-1, one, one, and that, that's the ball game. It's so tough, too, because I think, so, I mean, speaking from the Liverpool's perspective, I've been in that position where it's a stupid goal from Everton that caused you to drop two points, which is disappointing in of itself. But then when you're chasing down a team like Arsenal, who have just don't seem to drop points no matter what, like it's very deflating as a fan. And I can imagine it can sometimes be deflating even as a player, because you especially if you've been out there for 90 minutes, giving it your all, you had a lead at one point and one, you know, magical moment is what you know, causes you to lose a little bit of ground in, in the standings and, and you can kind of see this gap start to widen. You, you start to question, you know, is this going to happen this year? Because this other team just does not seem to falter. Um, so it, it is interesting. I mean, fullback position is, is 
really evolved, I think, in the last, you know, five, maybe seven years where uh, so often they were overlooked and kind of considered like secondary in importance to the squad. But now in the modern day, they're, they're paramount and not just defending, but also being key creators. So, you know, when you see John Stone slide into the right back position, can he defend? Yeah, he's not going to be as pacey, but he probably has the positional awareness to make up for it. But he's not going to create like someone like Kyle Walker for sure. Yeah, it's, it certainly it certainly makes adjustments necessary, and and like you said, takes away from the attack, which is where City bread and butter really is, is just kind of coming at you and and scoring goals and beating you into submission. Um, so let's go across to the red half of town now in Manchester. I'm sure as a City fan, you keep a, a close eye on them. I mean, we all keep an eye on our rivals' teams. Um, what do you make of the work that Ten Hag has done so far? Do you think he's the real deal now that you know United is starting to show that progress? And uh, does he have a chance to finally create some st- stability for United, which they've been lacking really since Ferguson retired? I mean, you guys have been the dominant force there for a while now. Yeah, I mean, so Ten Hag was, you know, on every list uh, that would be leaked about, like, all well, Pep leaves, you know, at this time, you know, it's going to be Ten Hag's one of the guys. And in fact, he came and, uh, you know, worked under Pep for a while. I mean, he he's of the school, and it's a very different school than, say, someone like Jose Mourinho, where Mourinho's whole thing was, like, we're going to limit the opportunity for us to make a mistake. Whereas, you know, Pep and Ten Hag and Enrique, like, their idea is we're going to take risks to increase our chance of winning. And it's, a you know, two different ways of looking at it. And I, I think it so far has been a success. Um, you know, the, I actually was a big proponent of Ralph Ragnick when he came in. I was like, that's what United actually need because they need someone who's going to come in and update their whole thought process and like identity as a club because United since Ferguson. And I mean, when Ferguson was there, he was the club. He was the decision-making process. And what you see now with all the successful teams and not even just like they're winning trophies, but teams like Brentford, Brentford have an identity. They have, they're using data to identify here are the players that fit our system and our style of play. And we want to go do that. And what Ten Hag has come in, like every United player, which, and it's the same thing, like they talk about Rico Lewis, Rico Lewis since the age of 10 and he's now 18 has been playing in a Pep Guardiola design system at every youth team he's been in. Ten Hag is putting that in place at United. They're going to actually have an identity and be like, okay, we need a player that can do this in this position because that's what our player in that position does. Rather than, oh, we need a striker. Like, who are the good strikers in the market? And just, like, kind of go out and identify it. So I think, you know, he's done really well. Um, It sucks to say because, you know, it's kind of enjoyable that they've been so woeful and inept for a few seasons. Um, But, you know, it means the the Darbys will be a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, heart pounding, which is super fun considering uh, I turned 30 on Saturday or on Sunday. So like, and the last time I had a match the day before my birthday was the uh, Liverpool four, Man City three in the league back in like 2018. And so I'm just like, I'm not really looking forward to this because the last time <laughs> it was a great match if you're a neutral, but not the way that I wanted to like kick off the birthday celebrations. Yeah. So good luck then to have a happy birthday. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. they don't make it too nervy. Yeah, I think the the interesting part about Ten Hag's success so far is in a weird way the Ronaldo situation was kind of a, a bonus for him because so much of the fallout that we would hear every time a Manchester United manager failed was that the squad was toxic, that they didn't have buy-in, that they didn't respect the manager, that they thought they were bigger than the club. And the way that Ten Hag handled the Ronaldo situation and a player 
in you know the magnitude of Cristiano Ronaldo, especially with the history he's had at Manchester United, I think almost earned him that like I don't call it instantaneous respect, but it was like very clear to everybody that was in that locker room that this is the guy that's in charge, and nobody can mess with him, not even Cristiano Ronaldo. And so they fell in line really quick, and they you know that buy-in then starts to translate into the play on the field, and I think it, it kind of you know attributes itself to a, a better team play, more cohesive team play on the pitch, and. I think that's really kind of propelled them and maybe even, you know, sometimes it takes managers like even Arteta, it takes them several months to get the the squad to really fully buy into what they're trying to to pitch to the players. But it almost like accelerated that by a you know, magnitude of 10 because of how well he handled that, you know, very difficult situation that probably could have tanked the season, you know, for any other manager aside from maybe a handful in, in Europe. Yeah. He um, took it by the reins, right. And really showed that the club comes first and, a lot of managers would have bowed down to Ronaldo's, you know, demands, I guess, so to speak. And it, it could have really derailed their season. And now he's out the door and, and look, they're up to fourth in the table. They, they look pretty strong. And I mean, when you compare them to Liverpool or Chelsea or uh, Spurs, they, they seem to be the team with the edge right now for a champions league place, which I wouldn't have thought a couple months ago. Yeah. And, and Rashford's a big piece of that too. Right. And I, I was saying this last year, it, it always was odd to me the way that they were playing Ronaldo and Rashford together, because to me, Rashford was always better as the true nine and Ronaldo is a, you know, a human freak of nature, but still getting older. And it was late thirties. He's lacking at that final step of pace that he had throughout his career. Now that Ronaldo's gone and that position is wide open for Rashford, he's been killing it. In the last like seven, 10 games, I think he's got like eight goals, three assists. It's just been playing out of his mind, the form of his life. And I think that's, you know, a testament to what Ten Hag has done. He, he's identified that. He's put the player in the position where he's best positioned to succeed and it's paying dividends. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the, the thing about that was helpful too about Ronaldo is that he had a good season last year individually, but United had a horrendous season, which is not dissimilar to basically every season that Ronaldo has had since he's left Madrid, where he's like, but look at all the goals I scored. It's like, yeah, but actually the team got worse than they were before you were there, because in order to make you successful, we are sacrificing all these things that make us good. Mm -hmm. um, and so in a way, like not only the previous season, but the couple times he played this season, like United looked objectively worse than when he wasn't on the pitch. And so you had this guy who still has the world's largest ego who couldn't recognize that like he is not the player that he was. And so he was causing all these issues and it made it, I think, easier for Ten Hag to go to the board and be like, look at what we're doing on the pitch when he isn't there. And then he's also a problem child, like in the locker room, in the media, like, let me deal with him. And it showed the other players. They were like, okay, this guy is going to put the club and this team first and not just like try to manage some prima donna who, you know, claimed, oh, all these Champions League comes are a cup for me, and now the dude's playing in Saudi Arabia because, you know, maybe if you acknowledged what you were, Cristiano, like, you could have gone to a team that was in need of, like, a 15 minutes off the bench super sub, but that's not what you are, and so, yeah, I mean, it's things like that that make me even more nervous because I'm like, man, Ten Hag seems to actually really be getting this process turned around. Uh, you know, much like with Liverpool, it will be interesting to see how the ownership like, do they sell? Do they just bring in part owners? Whatever. Like, how does that affect kind of everything overall? But it's definitely, this is the closest to us United have felt in years. Yeah. So with that in mind, let's get to Sunday's match or Saturday's match. I forget which day they're, they're playing this weekend. Um, 
who needs it more? I mean, you guys are chasing down Arsenal, who's who's five ahead. Arsenal plays after you, I, I believe, uh, on the on the time of day. Yeah, yeah. so they they're going to have they're going to know the result already. Where you don't have that kind of uh, you know luxury going into the Derby. United are trying to get themselves back amongst the big boys, the title contenders. Maybe not a title contender this year, but definitely cement that Champions League place. So who do you think needs the three points more in, in this situation? Because they both need it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it still goes to it, it, if you were to ask United fans Saturday afternoon if they've lost, you know, by 3-1 or 2-0 or something, but they play well, like I think United fans are going to be pretty okay with that. And I think the club is probably pretty okay only losing by a couple goals compared to, I mean, they they were getting blasted off the park by Holland and Foden. Uh, earlier this season at the Etihad. Um, and so for me, like the fact that United fans would probably be kind of like, they're not going to be happy that they lost, but like if they see an improvement compared to where they have been in previous years, it's not like, what, what are we doing? If city loses this game like that, particularly because we finally started to get some momentum against Arsenal when they drew against Newcastle. And then we just absolutely destroyed Chelsea uh, at the weekend in the FA cup. Like, so if we struggle and either, even if we draw, I think City fans are going to be pretty upset um, because yes, we have two matches to play Arsenal because we haven't played them yet this season because the, I think that our game with them got canceled because their Europa League game was, yeah, it was got the canceled League, because yeah. of the Queen passing, which is just like a weird, you know, sequence of events. But um, so that's really, I mean, an easy way to make up a six point gap because you get to, play, we get to play them twice, but you can't rely on that if you also keep handing them one point here, three points there in terms of the lead, because we can't, you know, keep kind of this form together and scoring goals. And so for me, I think like city are the ones who absolutely like, it is a devastating loss if they don't come out of there with three points. Yeah. You can't trust anybody else really to, to help you out with Arsenal. If, if the gap gets bigger than that six, I mean, the only team that's beaten them so far is United ironically enough was that two one, I think was the final where Martinelli's goal got called off early and then United kind of took it, took the match um, by the scruff of the neck a little bit. Um, so looking at the lines, the way I guess the books are seeing it, they have city as the favorite at minus minus one thirty. United is at plus three forty money line. The draws at plus two eighty. So city heavy favorites on the road at old Trafford. Do you see any scenario that as a city fan scares you that you could see United getting that result? Like, is there a, a player that maybe you, you worry about or a key area of the pitch where they can maybe take advantage of city? I mean, uh, Anthony has, I think quietly been a success this season. I think a lot of people are looking at his price tag, but what I always say is like players don't set their price tag. It's just whatever the club has decided to charge. And if a player is performing, I don't care what his price tag was. If they're helping win games. They're helping win games. So I think Anthony's someone um, that I would be particularly nervous about. And, you know, Rashford is in form. Um, and City have kind of had a weird back line where we haven't had consistent kind of here's our back four. Um, we haven't even had a consistent center back pairing. So players that are fast and are good with movement, like that's always a concern for me. Um, and also, I mean, just as a City fan, like – a I'm just imagining that they're going to win because that's just like, I'm just like, yeah, no, I, I don't deserve something nice. Of course we're going to fuck this one up. <laughs> yeah. I think um, there's a lot about United's form coming into this one and it's, it's admittedly great, but if yeah. you start looking at some of the teams that they've, they've been winning against, it's Burnley, you know, Nottingham forest, Burnmouth, Southampton, Everton, Charlton, right? I mean, it's not that the top part of the table, yeah. 
um, which is still, I mean, you have to take care of business against those teams. Liverpool are not doing that, and you can see what's gotten them so far this yeah. season. But I think it'll be interesting to see because if if United don't win this game, I think there might be a little bit of doubt that comes back in where it's like, hey, we were on this run, but is it because we're that good or is it just the competition we were playing? We still can't beat City. Where does that put us? Whereas if they do end up getting a result, whether it's a draw or a win, I think it gives them a little bit more sense of belonging in the in the top four and in, in that, hey, we can actually compete now with these, you know, Champions League quality clubs. Um, also, an interesting point, a win would put them within one point of City in the in the table when we're about the halfway yeah. point in the season. So, Coach, I know you said it, it doesn't quite make them a title contender, but... If you're looking at City, obviously we would still consider City a title contender at that point. It, it's kind of hard to rule out United. Um, so I, I think yeah, it, it depends, on, I guess, a lot on the Arsenal result, right? If Arsenal drops points and, and United wins, all of a sudden things get a little again. It's, we're, we're not we're we're just getting the halfway point. I, even if yeah. Arsenal wins and and you know whatever that the gap is nine points, we talked about it. Arsenal, I'm just waiting for a Jaka instant to pop up. I'm waiting for, I mean, they have the Jesus injury, but there's going to be more. I mean, they're going to have fixture congestion, just like every other club that's, you know, dealing with this world cup hectic scheduling. And so it's going to happen. So how they deal with that is going to determine whether or not they win this title. I think city will be consistent. We've talked about their depth. I don't think they, they're going to panic at any point, no matter what the gap is. Uh, so either way, you're still looking at a, a title race between these three clubs if United gets the win. If United doesn't get the win. I think that's actually a good point, too, on your point about the the attitude. Of the three clubs that are kind of here at the top, City have not only been the front runners and just, like, won every game they needed to. They've chased teams down. Um, so if you're Arsenal and it gets to where, you know, it's only a you have maybe a one-point lead or, a, you know, a two-point, suddenly that's a huge issue for you because – you don't know how to handle that. Whereas City, like regardless of kind of the situation, unless they are like eight or nine points back, you know, 10 match days from now, City are going to believe that they can come back and do it. Yeah, it's kind of been been there, done that, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the only scenario where I see Arsenal like pulling away in any fashion is if the gap is at a point in March where Pep makes this conscious choice of like, we are going for Champions League this year. Like it's been this, you know, white whale of ours for many, many years. We have Holland now, who's going to be the guy that can win us games and win us the the head-to-head matchups. It can get us to the final and and hopefully put us over that hump. If he just commits to that and says, you know what, Arsenal, like you got nine points on us with whatever, 10 games to go. And we have matchups against Madrid and, you know, whomever else in, in, in the Champions League. Then I could see maybe you know that prioritization impacting their their premier league play a little bit and letting arsenal run away with it but other than that city aren't going to be out of this by any stretch unless you know it's 10 point gap with with three games to play right so either way it's going to be a race to the end it's just a matter of who's going to be involved with arsenal and 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 city if if united will be in play there if newcastle gets into into play there or some other crazy run happens but those yeah just looking at um Arsenal's schedule real quick this next month uh, calendar month is going to tell us a lot about them because they have Spurs this weekend on on the road Uh, then it's home for United next weekend who United could be feeling good really good about themselves if they get a result this weekend Um, and then it's City in the FA Cup uh, fourth round and then Arsenal away not not the toughest on paper Brentford though at home Brentford's been tough and then it's City for the first time in the league on February 15th so between 
January uh, 15th and February 15th, they have four really big head-to-heads and and a tricky one with Brentford. And you know what? Even that FA Cup match, even though it's not in the league table, if City comes out and really teaches them a lesson, right, maybe that messes up the psyche for the the head-to-heads in the league that they have two of those coming up. So it's going to be a big month for Arsenal. And like Andrew said, we're not as far into the match day week as we normally are in mid-January because of the World Cup. And and there's still so much to, to play for. I mean, before you know it, Arsenal could be third or fourth if, if things go awry. So it, it's really tighter than it seems. Yeah. So, Andrew, thanks for coming on. Wish, wish you a happy early birthday. Uh, I mean, for your sake, we hope City gives you a, a good birthday gift. And uh, hopefully it'll be a good match for all the neutrals out there watching. And any City listeners out there, give Andrew and his podcast, Main Road Ramble, a follow. Listen to them for all your, your City listening. And uh, good luck to all the City United fans that are listening to the podcast. Hopefully you have a good match. Yeah. Uh, thanks, guys. And uh, happy to come on. And, uh, you know, look forward to seeing your draw. You guys did good work. Yeah. And Twitter at Main Road Ramble, right, Andrew? Yep. We're uh, we're at Main, Ram- at Main Road Ramble on all socials. So awesome. Appreciate it. Cheers. All right. So that was Andrew uh, helping us recap the Manchester City, Manchester United Derby. Now we'll shift gears back into our more traditional programming. We're going to kick things off with a buy or sell segment. Coach, first one up, Juve as a Scudetto contender. If they take all three points in Naples this weekend, are you buying that or are you selling it? Odds right now for the match, uh, Napoli are minus 110 on the money line. Juve plus 300, uh, draws plus 225. And at this point in the season, Napoli are seven points clear at the top of the table. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think Juve now has gone nine unbeaten or something crazy like that. Looking not good at all, right? I mean, whenever I watch them, I'm like, they look like shit. Like, I, I hit the money line the last two weeks, and I, I was, you know, waiting for 85 minutes to get a win in both of those matches. I think something like close to the 85th minute or so. But the the funny thing is they've only conceded uh, seven goals in the season, which is crazy to me. Um and they're facing the league's top top attack in Napoli with 39 scored. So that'll be an interesting dynamic in this match. I am buying, though, that if they can go to Naples and cut this to four, that they are right, maybe not where they want to be, but they're they're right in a dangerous position enough where Napoli still has to come to Juve because this is the first time they're playing because, you know, we're only a match day like 17 or whatever it is. Um, and I think whenever Juve is breathing down your neck, even though this isn't the Juve of the – the dynasty that we had a couple of years ago, they're, they're still going to going to scare you because they don't concede goals. And um, if they can only get like Chiesa going and Vlaovic comes back healthy, they're going to be more dangerous in attack. So I'm buying it. Um, and I think a, a win shifts those Scudetto odds a lot. So if you're someone who buys Juve, lock in that plus 700 now um, because it could pay off in the long run. Yeah, I'll step in for Nick here and point out that Juventus went on this run right as we called Juve as a good bet to win the Scudetto because I think they were sitting like plus a thousand plus 1400 or something crazy like that. Um, So Nick would want to call that out. I'll call it out for him. I think the interesting match here or the interesting point is that Napoli have, I mean, up until what the, their first game back from world cup break had zero slip ups. Yeah. Um, In the league, none. Yeah. And so I think even if they, they drop, I mean, it's tough because it's a home game, right? So you don't really want to drop the three points there, but I think they've they've kind of proven that they can handle 
you know, teams at all stages or all levels of the table, right? We know that historically a lot of the teams in the bottom of the table will sit back and try and just pull out with a draw. And that can, you know, hurt teams that, that don't have the, the goal scoring prowess and can cause them to drop points. And, and that's what you need, you know, if you're going to win uh, the, the, the league title. So I think in that regard, I'm not as concerned if they drop points here. The thing that I'll be interested in, and coach, I think you're going to need you to refresh my memory. Juve are not in Champions League anymore, right? They they did not make it through in the group. No, stage. they're in, um, but they're in the Europa League because I think so, they finished third in the group, so they still have a little bit of. So it's a different you know, caliber of competition. Yeah. If there's a close race towards the end, and Napoli are trying to figure out how to cope with that extra level of scheduling, I think it'll be interesting to see you know, how that's handled. I mean, obviously their attack is, is super deep and I think that might be okay, but in, in a weird way, I think like Juve is almost better suited to kind of pull it out in the, in the long run. Um, but it, it ultimately does kind of require a, a win here because if they drop three points here and then they're adrift by double digit points, then that's tough. I, I think that's a lot to ask for a team like Napoli who have were largely perfect for the first half of the season to, to drop, that many points and obviously you may have, have been slipping up too um at least in the beginning of the season so yeah one of the worst see. starts i can recall and that that's what's so amazing about what they're doing right now is that it was as, as a roman fan i was like wow maybe like juve is not as big of a top four threat as i thought they'd be and you know fighting for a top four with those top seven really are fighting for four spots now they look locked into the top four and now it's maybe inter that's the the team that could slip up and maybe roma could catch them in, in, in my hopes at least so Interesting, very interesting that a team that scores so little and plays such ugly football can now be closing in on a team that plays such nice football to watch. I mean, you saw it against Liverpool. They can be really effective in attack when they need to be. Yeah, you guys hated on Dino Ball, but it's working. <laughs> it is working. Um, a team that doesn't play Dino Ball, Scotty, is Arsenal. They play, they play some pretty nice football themselves when they're on, and they've been on pretty much all season. They are looking to pull the Derby double against Spurs this weekend. This one is at Tottenham. Arsenal is plus 115 on the money line. Spurs plus 225. The draw is at plus 255. Arsenal dominated the first match between these two, a 3-1 home win. Do you buy them pulling the Derby double? I do. I do for a couple of reasons. Um, Obviously, their form probably as good as anybody's in the league, aside from maybe United right now, but... Even still, I think I'd give a little bit of an edge to, to Arsenal based off of the level of competition that they've been playing. My concern with Tottenham right now is since they've gotten back from the World Cup break, and it seems to always coincide with a, a transfer window with Conte for whatever reason, call it a conspiracy theory, whatever you want to say, they have not looked their best by any no. by any stretch of the imagination. Now, yes, there have been certainly some injuries. You know, Kulusevsky, I think, is, is finally coming back. I think he, he got a few minutes in their last match. And he's been instrumental, you know, in their performance so far this year. But, you know, it's they they drew to Brentford, but that was with a, a two goal comeback in the second half. They lost to Villa by two goals who, you know, I get it. Emery is, is a much better manager, but it, it, they're still not a, a solid team, Aston Villa. Um, and then they did they did get a pretty decent win against Crystal Palace in their last match. So credit there. But I just they've been so up and down the transfer window is, is, is such a weird period of time with Antonio Conte, where he, he seems to almost hold the team hostage over getting new players <laughs> in and threatening to not extend his contract, which is up in four months and creating all this unnecessary drama. And then once the windows closed, like things click into gear and, and whether he gets his players or not, things seem to be smoother. So 
I'm going to buy it, you know, just because I, I like the momentum that Arsenal has. And I, and I don't like the distractions that are seemingly popping up in, in the world of Tottenham right now. So I, I think that's a tough thing to kind of overcome, especially in, when you're playing a, a big derby like this. Yeah, I'll revisit this one later in the lock. So I'm not going to say my piece now. All right. Fair enough. All right. So that gives us our last buy or sell. It's going to be a little focused on your team, coach. Tammy and Roma's attack, are they back on track? So they've been pretty tough for most of the season. They had another abysmal 85 minutes against Milan, but they managed to score two late goals to steal a point at San Siro. Tammy Abraham coming up with a huge 93rd minute tying goal. Roma team total right now over one and a half is plus 105. Are you buying their attack, getting them multiple goals? Yeah, this is an interesting one because the first match back from the break, I I did bet the team total over one and a half against Bologna. Roma scored in the sixth minute and never got me the second goal. And it was, I think, at like a minus 105 number because I thought it was too good to pass up at home. Um, I'm hoping that, as a Roma fan, that Tammy's goal really gets him going a little bit because he had a good match up until the goal. It just, he wasn't getting a lot of service in the box. It was really him, you know, leading the counterattack, holding up play for for the other players, things like that. Um, so he seems to be playing with a little more confidence. Roma got those two goals um, very late in the match after not doing much against Milan. I'm hoping that against Fiorentina, they are more uh, positive in their, their their play, not so defensive at home against the Fiorentina team that really hasn't been that great this year. I'm going to buy it. I think at home, they're going to be playing with the crowd behind them. And I'm going to say that the Roma fan in me is hoping at least that getting those two late goals and stealing a result at Milan kind of picks them up a bit and, and gets them going again. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to buy or sell this right now. I'm going to leave it up to you, but I will play a little bit of devil's advocate because so often you and Nick are quick to hate on various clubs in the Serie A crowning players as being back or being the next Maradona or whatever for having, (laughs) you know, three good games. And Roma had, as far as I can tell, eight good minutes and and you've now just about yes yes (laughs) now you kind of change your tune on on their attack i mean the problem with roma has never been their ability to create chances they've created plenty of chances all season long it's just the finishing has never been there and it's never been there in a bad way so i'm not ready to buy it just for that reason i all all i've seen so far eight good minutes and and eight minutes at the end of a game where who knows you know where the legs were for for either team so I'm not going to buy it for that reason, but I also won't sell it because it's Fiorentina. Like you said, they, they, they yeah. just gave up two goals to Milan, you know, what, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, so it, it's, they have a track record of, of conceding and conceding often. Yeah. They, they've been a bit disappointing um, compared to what kind of we expected out of them. We thought they'd be definitely more of a, a top seven threat, at least, uh, you know, like a European spot threat. And they, they haven't been that great. So um, I'm hoping uh, you know, it's the optimist in me as a Roman fan. I wouldn't call it a lock by any means, but I'm hoping. So speaking of locks, Scott, we're going to go to our hat trick of picks. Now, just, just a reminder, on Patreon, all these picks are posted for our patrons. We also post additional uh, prop locks that the, the the general audience doesn't get access to and some other things that we have in the work. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, visit patreon.com slash kicks and picks, and uh, you can subscribe for a, a low price and get extra picks. And uh you know, join us and, and help support our work. And we hope you're enjoying the show. And uh, if you're enjoying, also tell your friends about us, at least to, to come give us a listen at some point. So, Scott, we got to give our patrons and our listeners some some winners. So where are you starting this week? I'm starting with a, what I think is probably the best 
pick pound for pound on the slate this whole weekend. Um, Brighton draw no bet plus 145 versus Liverpool is a crazy number for me. Um, one, Brighton are at home, so already a bit of an advantage there. Normally, when you see a number like that, you think, okay, maybe it's because you know Liverpool are getting a home field advantage here. Not the case. Plus money draw no bet is something I always love to bet because it's you know takes away a little bit of that risk, but you still get some extra juice if, if the team performs as you expect. And three, to be frank, they're playing a very, very, very not good Liverpool team. Um, Liverpool are struggling. There's been no... <laughs> No shock there. I mean, uh, Wolverhampton just drew them 2-2. A Wolverhampton team that has struggled to score goals in any shape or form all season long somehow manages to score two on Liverpool's very porous defense. And it's not really their defense. It's just the whole team not gelling well. And they're not pressing together. It's making things far too easy for the opposition to attack and get in behind their defensive line. So it, it just it's just crazy to me that this line is so high and Brighton have been playing pretty well. I mean, as it stands yeah. right now, there's only one point separating Brighton from Liverpool in this table. So it's a very weird number to see Brighton getting that much juice in the books. And it might be a rat line, but like this is you have to take this one. It's like I said, pound for pound. This is the best bet on the whole slate all weekend long. Yeah, I, I, I'm buying this. Um, this is something I'll probably take myself just because Deserby's a good manager. He knows how to play against the big sides. I saw him do it in Italy and, and cause them trouble. And I think Liverpool's just struggling now, like you said. Um, and speaking of Deserby, I'm going to look at his old side in my first lock, Sassuolo, playing Lazio. This is in, um, at Sassuolo because um, Lazio is away. Roma's home this weekend. Over two and a half goals, minus 130. These are two of our most frequent easy over teams in Serie A. Both teams have seen each of their last three in league play go over two and a half, and six of the last eight head-to-heads have also gone over two and a half. Lazio has been very shaky late in matches, especially Sassuolo always is a you know leaky on, in defense. So I'm, I like the over in this one. Yeah, shout out Lazio's late leaky defense getting our pod lock across the line yes. last weekend. So always and giving me plenty of satisfaction well. as a Roma fan. <laughs> very much so. When Nick sent that text in the group chat, just like, okay, over hit. Yeah. There was no mention of how it hit, and it took a little bit of investigating to realize <laughs> yeah. why Nick was not being I had to actually go into live score. Look, I was like, oh, it was like 20 minutes later. I was like, oh, Latu gave up the goal. Thank you. Yeah, yeah Nick was not very <laughs> forthcoming with that information. Hit that part. Um, but speaking of Nick, his first lock is his team. He stays in this match with Lazio first half money line plus 170 against Sassuolo. He says his boys need the three points. They've scored in the first half in five of their last seven matches, and Sassuolo is winless in their last six, giving up two-plus goals in four of those. And like we said, Lazio's been bad late, so you hope they they strike early like they have the last couple weeks, and plus 170 is a big number there. That's a huge number. I mean, I normally go the first half money line if it's a heavy favor and you want to get it to like plus 110, plus 120, yeah. but Nick's got to have some confidence in his boys rebounding quickly. But again, to his credit, we saw how they perform in the last in the last few minutes of the second half. Maybe they're just a, a strong starting team and they lack finishing. So and if they don't perform in the first half, they'll be on here bitching next week. That's very true. <laughs> um, all right. Second lock of the week for me. Uh, I'm going to take Southampton at Everton. Both teams to score. No, that's that minus 110, which is another head scratcher for me. I mean, these are two teams that are in 18th and 20th place, respectively. So battling for relegations 
you know, battling to get out of the relegation zone, battling for safety. And those games in the Premier League, especially as we get into the second half of the season, tend to be really cagey affairs. They're not teams that are coming out trying to take it to the opposition, trying to get points. They're really trying to just not concede and potentially give away three points and and almost sealing their fate with you know a couple months to play. So I expect this to be a slow starting match. I also like the fact that neither of these teams score much. You know, that's the reason why they're here. They're, they're both, I think, third and, and fourth in terms of goal scored on the season. So I think at some point you're going to find one of these teams getting a clean sheet. I could also see this being a weirdly a 0-0 where just Everton sits back. They defend really well at home and the game is is at Goodison Park. So it could be something where Everson sits back. They try to counter. Maybe Southampton, you know, plays well enough. And obviously Everton's attack isn't superb uh, to, to keep a clean sheet. So. I think either way, you're looking at a, a good shot for one of these teams to, to come out of here with a, a zero goal on their defensive record. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I, I think it was it might have been Southampton Forest or Bournemouth or something. And I was like, how is this over like so high? And you talked to me off it, thankfully, because it ended up being like a one nothing match because Southampton matches early on were like those over matches and, and doesn't seem to be anymore. The only goals Southampton scores are off of James Ward-Prowse. Ward-Prowse. And it <laughs> happened this weekend where he was trying to cross the ball it curved and then it just bounced and then went into the goal because the keeper was playing it as a cross and didn't get to it. So it was just a, a weird fluky goal, but that's how Southampton that's scores. How they they scores, don't yeah. have anybody else. Che Adams no. is decent, but he's not a consistent scorer. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the uh, London Derby, North London Derby that we talked about earlier. And this is why I didn't want to talk about it during the uh, buy or sell, because I'm going to take Arsenal money line at Spurs. I think plus 115 is a great number for them. Uh, like Scotty had mentioned, Spurs not really playing that great right now. Arsenal won the first head-to-head 3-1. I don't think this one will be as easy playing at Tottenham, but given the, the form and and what Arsenal has at stake, I think this number is just too good to pass up, and I'm, I'm going to buy him. Yeah, the only thing you have to worry about here is if Kane decides to just like make this like a yeah. staple match for him where he's just had enough and comes out and has a hat trick or something stupid like that. But I agree. I mean, Arsenal, even without Jesus, haven't really missed a beat. Um, Odegaard is playing as as well as he has. Saka and, and Martinelli have been playing really well. So there'll be goals on Arsenal's side. It's just, you know, whether the defense and midfield can hold up for them. Yeah. All right. I'm going to um, give out Nick's next pick because I think I can see through what he's trying to do here. Um, so Nick is taking the Roma versus Fiorentina over two and a half. It's plus 100. And Nick says in a totally genuine way, I love coaches bet. I think Roma is priced well here. We all saw what happened last week. Two goals needed to win the game. It should be wide open, and this price is unbelievable. We ride until it misses. I don't know if Nick... This feels like a trap. I feel like Nick is saying this, but doesn't actually believe it. I feel like he's hoping that this is a, a disaster game for Roma, and if his bet doesn't win, he gets to rub it in your face. But if Roma does come out and play well against Fiorentina, he can say he knew it and had the over, so he wins. Yeah, I I mean, the first thing he texted us, we both had our, our picks into the dock first. And the first thing he texted, I love Roma this week. And I, I, I thought he was busting my balls, honestly, yeah. because, you know, trust he, for a second. not only does he, of course, there's a lot to a fan not like Roma. They haven't been that great as a betting team this year. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know if he's just trying to, to, to you know, jinx them, reverse jinx them on me or whatever. But um, he likes he's trying it, to get so both we'll sides. He wants to yeah. be happy either way. That's all yeah. that he's doing. All right, my final lock for this weekend, I'm taking, I'm going back to the well because I took them as a lock last weekend at a price that I thought was pretty crazy. Um, it's Manchester City money line. They're minus 130 at Manchester United. I took them against Chelsea. I think they were minus 160. And I thought that would be as low as they get. 
crazy to me that it's even lower for for Manchester United. I get it. It's a derby. These games are never really blowouts. But the way that Holland has been playing, the way that De Bruyne has been playing, the way that the defense has held up for most of the season, it's just too good of a price for me to pass up. I mean, Manchester City are the dominant force in the Premier League. I don't care how well Arsenal is doing right now. They just will continue to be that team in this league for the foreseeable future, maybe until Newcastle finally kind of have another few transfer windows under their belt. And they just rested Holland on the weekend in the FA Cup because they rolled Chelsea for nothing. So he's going to be fully rested, ready to go. I could see this being, you know, a, a 3-1 kind of game where United look decent in it. They get their goal, but I just, I will not pass up Manchester City this close to being an even bet on the money line. Yeah, it's tough to pass up teams like that when they're so close to even money. It, it usually pans out. So hopefully they come out. I don't think it'll be as easy as that 6-3 we saw earlier in the season, but I, I do like them at this number as well. Um, and part of the reason Nick said he loves my pick of Roma is because my third lock is Roma. I, I'm always hesitant to take my team money line. I try to avoid it because, you know, sometimes your heart gets in the way of your head, but I just kept going back to this. When I kept looking at the Serie A lines, I kept looking at the Premier League lines for a third pick, trying to talk myself out of this one and coming off what could end up being a big result for them. Uh, even after 85 bad minutes, stealing a point at the San Siro against the defending champs and you're down two nothing is always a big result. Um, Fiorentina need a late PK to sneak by a struggling Sassuolo side and has really been poor on the road this season. So I'm going to take my boys. They they won their last one at home, one nothing against Bologna. I'm hoping for a little more firepower in this one, but maybe a, a, a two nothing, two one type win. And uh, and for Nick's sake, two one because he's got the over also. But um, I'm I'm hoping and um, I'm I'm buying my team this week. Yeah, two one is what the pod needs. I'm going to go ahead and say since he's not here, I would accept a one nothing Roma victory because. <laughs> Sometimes you got to pay the price for for missing out on a pod. Yeah. Hey. Um, getting into Nick's final pick, he's taking Hellas Verona team total over half a goal at Inter. Uh, so yeah, Hellas are the original uh, Serie B team of this season, but they've scored in their last three matches. So pretty good run. Inter's defense also not been super consistent the last four games, allowing goals in at least three of those, including two to Monza of all teams last week. Uh, and today, so, Scotty, in the Coppa Italia, they gave up a screamer against Serie B Parma, an actual Serie B side. Yeah, so it seems like Inter are a little bit leaky at the back at this current moment in time, so a good chance to kind of hop on and take advantage of that. Uh, and if you like the over in this game, which is three and a half, then that means Hellas will have to need to get one anyways. So it's just a good way to kind of hedge your bets. Don't need much from Inter in this case. You just need them to kind of concede one. It could be a PK. We've seen plenty of PKs in Serie A this year. It could be a fluky corner. It could be an OG. Whatever it is, you get any sort of goal from Hellas Verona at, and you get a, a pretty decent payout at minus 120 for that. Yeah, so Scotty, our our pod lock, our collective lock of the week, nine three and three in the year, plus four, just over four units. What are we taking this week? So we're going back to a, an old friend of ours, or old friend of mine, uh, and that's a Torino under. So Torino playing Spezia under two and a half is minus one thirty. We took an over in Serie A last weekend. We hit that. We're going to go the other direction, taking an under here. A Torino team who's defense first, um, haven't missed a beat, you know, despite losing one of the best center backs in the league uh, in the summer transfer window. So seemed to be a pretty good bet to, to bet on here. Uh, and, and let's call spade a spade. Spezia is not blowing anybody away with their attack. So yeah. under two and a half here, it's a pretty good pick. Minus 130 seems about right. I mean, if it was any lower than that, it would have been on my list for sure, but uh, as it stands, this is free money is free money territory as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah. And so just to, to wrap up, uh... Big, big accomplishment for us last week. We hit our 100th win as a collective on the season. We We're now 156 with nine pushes. And that's what I have it 60.61% winning percentage, 43% return on investment for plus 35.62 units. Not one to brag, but we have been doing really well this season. I'm, I'm proud of the work we've been putting in, and I hope you guys have been riding those bets with us. Yeah, 100 wins halfway through the season means we got a good chance of getting 200 wins throughout the whole season that's a pretty good mark for us to hit yeah considering we're only putting in a max of 10 per week uh, when you combine all of our bets that's not a bad number at all so uh thanks again for listening i know you guys probably miss nick this week he'll be back with us next week hopefully to celebrate roma three goals a three nothing win i'd be happy with that um scotty anything you want to leave the listeners with no, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Um, we're pretty active there during the games. If we see things that we like live, we'll be putting them out there as well. Um, and yeah, like Coach said at the beginning of the segment, make sure you consider following us on Patreon. We'll put stuff out there for both patrons and occasionally uh, for the general public. It's just a good way for us to get stuff that we like written out in, in long form. Yeah, so thanks again for Andrew for joining us from uh, Main Road Ramble, and we'll talk to you guys next week.